Hey guys, it's Elena. Welcome back to 20-something. I'll keep this quick because I want to get right into it with this one. But what you are about to hear is another one of these compilations of the 20 best things that I have heard in podcasts this month. And I actually think like it's probably time that I change what I title these episodes because they're not all things I heard in podcasts. A good chunk of them are because podcasts are like the main type of content I spend the most time consuming. Like this morning, even before recording this, I've listened to a total of three podcast episodes today. That being said, there are also peppered in some like, some of these are ideas that I've heard in books that I've been reading recently, or even tweets that I've seen. So it's not so much things I've heard in podcasts, but in general, like ideas that I have found interesting that piqued my interest or constructs being more like mental models to think about things in that particularly caught my attention or that stuck with me this month. And I love doing these episodes as like, even as a thought exercise, because like hearing something in a podcast and then forgetting it and going on about your life is very different from hearing something in a podcast and then recalling it, writing it down, and then having to force myself to articulate it clearly or like explain it to somebody else, in this case to you guys on a mic, is such a good exercise that actually ends up in the lessons like sticking with me more than they would if I had not been doing these. Like even just knowing that I eventually want to make an episode like this forces me to write down the stuff that I hear in podcasts that I would have otherwise completely forgotten. Like knowing that I have these episodes coming up is the reason that I have a running list called shit I hear in podcasts. And I kind of jot down like what the podcast was, who the interview was with, or who the host was and what the idea was. That like in my notes app is like this crazy like convoluted long list of some really interesting stuff that I've heard and like crazy ways of thinking about things or information or facts whatever you want to call it that being said let's get into these number one Alex Hormozy on his podcast which is called the game he said intelligence is the speed at which a person can change behavior under the same circumstances when new information comes up basically this idea that intelligence your intelligence specifically, can be measured by the speed at which you're able to change your behavior to match new things that you've learned. And I would actually expand this to say not only is intelligence the ability to do that, but also like stupidity is probably the inability to do that. It's making the same mistake and not subsequently changing your behavior. Albert Einstein said something like along those lines, and I don't know if Alex Hormozy was like modeling what he said off of this Einstein quote, but Einstein said, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And I really like that idea that intelligence is like basically the ability to pivot quickly, like to pivot when there's new information or when you have learned something new, like being able to pivot what you're doing and implement the new thing that you have learned without being emotionally attached, let's say, to your old way of doing things. Because that ultimately is like probably a big reason why people do not change their behavior, even if they know that they should be doing something differently or they should be doing something new. I think that it also matches very well with the fact that, and this is true like for most people, including myself, that most people's problem is not a lack of knowledge. Most people's problem is a lack of execution. Like especially with people our age and especially in this whole like self-development space, There's so much information out there. Like you already have all the advice. You know what to do. For example, like you know how to make money. You know how to build the business you want to build. You know how to get in crazy shape physically. 
it's not a lack of knowledge. The problem is that you're not doing it. There's so much information out there. There's no excuse for not knowing how to do something. Because no matter what it is that you want to achieve, I bet like the blueprint for exactly what you want to do is probably laid out for you step by step somewhere on the internet because somebody else has done it before you. And if you're not there yet, it's not because you don't know how to do it. It's because you haven't executed. Like you know what you need to do or do differently. Your problem is that you haven't done anything yet. So for most of us, execution is the problem. It's not knowledge. And your intelligence can be measured by how quickly you can change behavior to match the new lessons that you've acquired. Hormozy's podcast is good. I love that it's like a very short episodes. He doesn't beat around the bush. It's very straight to the point, like 15 minute episodes where he basically goes on rants or like has these little motivational snippets. It feels like a kick in the ass. And I also like that he has the, he has a very good way of articulating things in a way that they sound like common sense. So you're listening and you kind of go, yeah, like, why don't I just do that? Number two, how good your outfit looks depends more on the fit and the tailoring and the material and the style of the clothing. For example, like how a piece fits proportionately to you and to the other pieces that you're wearing depends more on that than just on what you pair together. This was from Isaiah Jackson. And this actually reminded me of things that I've already said in the quality over quantity episode. But it is a good reminder that like when you're pairing together a look, just, you know, pairing this color with that color or like pairing one piece with the other, that's not enough to make an incredible outfit. It's more about the tailoring and the quality and the material of the clothing that you're wearing and how it fits your body and how it fits the other pieces that you're putting it with actually makes much more of like a visible difference when you look at the outfit or when somebody sees you on the street. It also makes a difference probably in how you feel because the way that something fits you in your body is going to completely change how good you feel about the way that you look and thus how you carry yourself. Number three, this was fascinating. This is something I heard on NIA. I think it was Trung who was going on about this. He said, if you go back in history, language is basically a virus. It's a virus that overtook the world because it has not been around for all of history. Like there was a point in time when language was created and then it spread and morphed and changed. And now it seems normal to us, but it hasn't been around since the beginning of time. That in itself is all the more reason why you should basically listen to your unconscious, to your subconscious more. Because your subconscious mind has been around since the beginning of time. Language is a virus. So the thoughts and the chattering that's happening in your mind or the things that other people are telling you do not have origins as deep as something like the subconscious mind. So fundamentally, you should trust your instincts over anything that can be conveyed using language as a tool. Number four, if you want to take a risk, do it while you're young and do it while you don't have a family to support. Because worst case scenario, you start back where you were a couple of years ago, which is no big deal. This sounds elementary, but it's a it's always a good reminder. Lauren and Michael, who are the hosts of the Skinny Confidential said this on a solo episode they did about career advice. Basically, if there's a risk that you have in mind that you want to take and you know you're going to do it eventually, if you want to take a risk with money or if you want to go on a trip you can't afford or if you want to pivot to a new career, any of those risks in the back of your mind that you have a feeling you'll eventually do, doing them sooner is probably better than later because if you're young and you don't have a family to support, you don't have a husband or a wife and kids, then the risk isn't that big a deal. Like Even if you fall on your face, 
again, like very worst case scenario, you start back where you were a couple of years ago. It's not the same. Like if you wait until the point when you have, you know, quote unquote, like a life established, especially kids, you can't think with that frame of thinking. Like you can't really throw yourself off the cliff as easily because if shit hits the fan, like you have a family that you need to take care of. Five, people can tell when you are making something because you want to make it versus when you're making it because you want to get something from them. People can tell the difference between something that you are making or something you are building because you genuinely want to make the thing, because you're passionate about the thing. They can tell the difference between that versus if you're just making it to get something from them or to sell them something. This was Jack Butcher on Danny Miranda's podcast. I think a few of the podcast episodes that I'll eventually quote were interviews by Danny Miranda. I still, and maintain this, I think he's one of the best interviewers I've ever heard. And most of the interviews he does, even with people who I haven't heard of before, are incredible things to listen to. Six, the more labels that you attach to your identity, the stupider they make you. This was Morgan Housel. He did an episode on ideas that changed his life. This one was specifically about the idea of tribes and bucket thinking, which I know there's a couple good books about, but the idea of like tribes are basically identity groups. So communities that form around specific identities, it could be religious groups or political affiliations, you name it, even like social circles you consider yourself to be a part of. Those can have value, don't get me wrong, but when we start to attach labels to our identity. If somebody says, you know, I am a Democrat and I am Christian and I am this and I am that and whatever, whatever, and they go off on like, people have a list of labels that they use to describe who they are, which isn't really who you are. It's just, you're describing, you're describing buckets of your life and you're describing like ideologies that you generally adhere to. But the more labels you attach to your identity, the stupider they make you. And I think his implication when he was talking about this idea is that the more flexible you are with your thinking, the ability to like take an idea, to pick and choose ideas that we believe in and ideas that we want to, and principles that we want to follow and to be flexible in what we believe and what we do not will make you a much smarter person and it's probably a better way to go about your life than just latching on to the tribes or to like the bucket thinking and then following blindly every rule that you're supposed to believe or supposed to follow if you belong to that tribe. Number seven, When we feel that we've done enough of the thing, like when you feel that you've put enough work in, you're probably not nearly as close to having truly completed it or put in the amount of work that it really takes to get to mastery. This was also Alex Hormozzi on Danny Miranda. Again, he did a really incredible job interviewing him as many interviews as Alex Hormozzi has done. Like this is probably one of the best. The way he phrased it was, it was this idea that you've, if you think you've done enough, you probably have not. And the way that he phrased it was, if I gave you two more hours to edit this video, or if I gave you three more months to spend on this book, what would you do? What would you change? What would you make better? What would you think about again? And if you have an answer to that question, then it means you haven't done everything. Like whatever your answer is to that question, go do that and then come back and say that you're done. But if you have an answer to that question, if if you ask yourself, okay, if I had two more hours to spend on this, what would I do more? What would I do differently? If you have an answer then inherently, like, you should go do that and not act like you have put in all of the work that it takes because it means you haven't done everything. You haven't taken it to the max level or put in the max amount of work that you could. Only when you get to a point where you say, 
I've taken it as far as I possibly can. There's nothing else that I know how to do unless I have help. Only then have you done everything. Like the greatest people at their crafts put in a horrendous amount of hours and they're still not done. Leonardo da Vinci spent 16 years on the Mona Lisa. LeBron James spends like whatever, hundreds of hours a week practicing and we've all agreed that he's the best and he won, but he's still going. If you think that you have put in enough work, you probably haven't because if you had, you'd be the best and you're not. The next few things are ones, not things I heard in podcasts. They're things that I've read all from Principles by Ray Dalio, but they're some of the most interesting ideas that I've come across this month, so I wanted to include them. There are two paths to happiness. One is you have high expectations and you meet them. So like set an ambitious goal and then hit it. Or you have to lower your expectations below your current condition. If you lower your expectations below your current condition, then you will be happy because your current state exceeds your expectations. Those are the two different ways that you can be happy. High expectations and you have to grow to meet them or lower expectations and by default you're happy. If you pick path number one, though, you will inevitably have to keep evolving to be happy. If you pick number two, you're probably going to remain at the same level. You'll still be happy in both cases, but you may not be progressing as much. Number nine, changing the design to accommodate somebody's weakness is generally a bad idea. It's better to sort the people. So for example, Changing the design of your life or changing the standard or the principles by which you live to accommodate somebody else's default or to accommodate somebody else's inability to meet your standards, that's not going to make you happy. It's better to sort the people and then continue to live life at your standard. That's how I interpreted it. The funny thing is that he actually said this in the context of management or leadership. So basically, if you, let's say you're running a team or running a company, changing the design of the company or changing the requirements of the job to accommodate somebody's weakness is generally a bad idea. It's better to sort through and filter the people and put them in the job that they're actually going to naturally thrive at instead of changing the system to accommodate them. Number 10, the goal is to find the best answer, not the best one that you have. And sometimes the best answer is, I don't know, or at least it's the most accurate one. If you're looking for the answer to a question or somebody asks you a question and you don't know, your job is to find the best answer to that question. Even if it takes time and you have to come back to them, the goal is not to give the best answer that you have on the spot. This one, I think for anybody who works in consulting is such a, like, is so relevant because we've all had times like the partner's thing is if a senior partner asks you a question, you don't know the answer the answer that they're actually looking for is for you to admit and say, I don't know, I need to look into it, or I need to do X other analysis to be able to find the answer to this. Most people in corporate careers, your intuition tells you to bullshit something on the spot that makes it sound like you know what you're talking about, but usually that's the worst answer you can give. The best is either find the best answer or just say, I don't know. So those three were all from the book Principles by Ray Dalio, which again, I think has been a really great read recently. But 11 is the details are what make life worth living. The details, the little things in your day, the little moments that bring you sweetness. Those are the things that make life worth living. So as busy as you think you are, it's better not to skip over those. 12, unless it's a hell yes, 
It's a hell no. This was an interview on the Skinny Confidential. Again, her name was like Abby something something. I don't know her last name. The funny thing is like, this is one that I've heard before. I've actually probably said it before on this podcast, but sometimes hearing things again at the right time kind of like spark something in you. That's what happened when I heard this the other day. It's so simple, but I think the principle is spot on. If you think about it, there are so many options in life, endless optionality. So why wouldn't you focus on the hell yeses instead of saying yes to everything that crosses your path just because it presents itself as an opportunity? Like in in any kind of context, in time management, in dating, in business, in even in like how you spend your money, unless you're crazy excited about it, unless it's a hell yes, say no and then wait until the next thing that you are crazy excited about because there will be so many of those. The social plans that I'm saying yes to are the ones where I'm like, hell yes, like I want to spend time with this person. Hell yes, I want to do this thing. In career, for example, if you're young and if you have your head on your shoulders and you're generally well-educated, you will probably have quite a few career options in front of you. Don't accept the first one. Like open all doors. I always say this, open all doors, open all possibilities, and then pick the one that is a hell yes. You could even think about like how you're spending your money in the exact same way. Spend money on the things that you will not regret, on the trips that you've been wanting to take forever. Or if you're making an investment, like invest only in things that you have a very high level of conviction in. Because if it's not a hell yes, like even even if you have an ounce of hesitation that it may not be the best idea, there's probably a reason for that. And then on the time thing, like from a time management perspective, sometimes you have to say no to things so that you can say yes to what matters. You don't have an endless amount of time. Like you have to say no to the things that are maybes so that you have time to say yes to the hell yeses. Even think about dating. If you're a young, attractive woman, you are being asked out on a regular basis. That doesn't mean that you should say yes to everybody who asks you on a date. Like unless I want to rip a guy's clothes off and unless he's truly impressive, then obviously like I'm not going to go on the date just for the sake of going on the date. We all know that Someone could be perfect, like they could be literally perfect on paper. There could be nothing wrong with them. But if you don't look at somebody and they don't light your soul on fire, then why are you dating them? Like it's a waste of time. I'm not going to get into a relationship unless it's like somebody very special. So I love that principle that you can apply honestly to anything. Unless it's a hell yes, it's a hell no. It's such a short, like sweet, simple thing that is so good. Like I want to remind myself of that every single day. 13. This one kind of goes hand in hand with what I was just talking about, but there was a woman on a podcast who said, my standards are high because I can provide the life that I want. And this was, I'm pretty sure it was a female entrepreneur. She was like very successful talking about her life and her business. And she said, my standards are high because I can provide the life that I want. And the idea behind this is that The women who are able to exercise the highest standards are able to because they can provide the life that they want for themselves. So to let a man enter her life, he needs to provide a very clear value to her on top of just money. 14. You can want and be committed to something without needing it. So if you've set a goal for yourself, for example, you can be passionate and 100% committed to it without necessarily needing it. Like removing that feeling of desperation probably too is going to help you more than it's going to hurt you. Because when you're desperate for something, there's an anxiety about it. There's an anxious energy around that. Letting go of the desperation and just being okay with how things naturally fall 
can actually ironically like magnetize a lot of success towards you once you remove that desperate energy. But that doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're not 100% committed to it and passionate about it. You can still be super dedicated to something and put in the work and put in the effort and know that it's going to happen, but not be desperate for it. And this can even be about timeline, for example. So if you have a goal, you can work towards it with dedication without like obsessively needing it to happen this year. And that's probably going to put you in a better position than if you were to like cling to it desperately. 15. This is going to take a complete turn, but somebody was talking on a podcast and I forget what in the world the topic of this podcast was that I was listening to, but the tip was that if you put freshly scented laundry sheets, like dryer sheets that smell really nice and like fresh, if you put them in your air vents, basically like fold them into your air vents where the AC comes out, then it makes your apartment or house smell really pretty because the scent carries. It basically like blows the scent all across your home. I know like this does not align with the self-development theme that we were on earlier, but I have decided that I'm in my housewife era. I like being a girl boss from Monday to Friday, but on the weekends I'm a housewife and I like my housewife hobbies. And one of them has been perfecting my home recently because I loved my place before. Like I've lived in my apartment for just over a year now and I love it and it's always been beautiful And I love how I decorated it when I moved in. But recently I've been like putting a lot of time and thought into like really making it exactly fit me, like making it exactly the environment that I will love and that I thrive in and that I feel luxury every time I step in the door. So I've been shopping for my place. I'm baking. I'm getting a floral bouquet from the farmer's market. I'm going to interior design stores for inspo. I'm having a glass of Merlot with my candle going in my apartment while I watch a movie in my silk slip dress. I love it. But that was basically the apartment tip. Like you put freshly scented these like laundry sheets in your air vents and then it makes your house smell really pretty. Or you could just rely on the floral bouquet. I've also noticed that my apartment smells so beautiful when I have fresh flowers. So right now, like right next to me here, I have a bouquet of white hydrangeas and then put them together with a bouquet of exotic like pink and white lilies, the Colombian lilies, and the smell, like the scent when you walk into my apartment smells like a botanical garden. On the same topic, a couple of others on how to feel sexier in your apartment. One is Keaton Milburn said this, so she's like a beauty and lifestyle influencer I've been following forever. Her tip was spray a tiny little bit of perfume on yourself before you go to bed. So like a little bit on your neck, maybe on your wrists, right before bed at night, which seems ridiculous, but it makes you feel so good when you wake up in the morning because you wake up in the morning in your sheets and you smell this like beautiful scent on yourself. It makes you feel so much sexier when you wake up in the morning. The next was for skin and hair health, sleeping on a silk pillowcase, but also using a silk scrunchie, not using anything harsh on your hair. So I've been using one by the brand Slip, their skinny scrunchie that's made of complete silk. The same idea for sleeping on a silk pillowcase, not only for just your hair, but also for your skin. Regular pillowcases, like if it's a harsh material, then it dries out your skin. When I'm at hotels, when I don't have my silk pillowcase, I notice a difference. Like it dries out my skin and my hair, but when I'm at home, the silk pillowcase is always what I'm sleeping on. And the skinny scrunchie from Slip is what I've been loving. 18. Back to the more serious stuff. Number 18. um, Somebody said... The reward for good work is more work. So make sure that you enjoy the work. 19. 
we should normalize the idea of making art without the intention of making a profit for it. This was more normal centuries ago. Like some of the most famous painters lived in poverty for years and years and years, but they continued making art because they could not not make the art. Like the same is true today. Don't get me wrong. There are artists who do it out of love for the thing, whatever the art form is. But there are also a lot of people who create just for the sake of making a profit, not for the sake of creating. Number 20 was a tweet, not a podcast. And it was by Sean. Sean Puri, I think is his name. I'll link his handle or I'll link the tweet in the show notes. He tweeted out something that I think was gold, which is every morning I thank the Lord that my brain doesn't care about politics. It's like having a sugar allergy. I'll throw in two a little bonus one because I know I already did 20. But after I made this list of 20, just this morning, I was catching up on the NIA episode that I missed where they talked about like Barstool and Arnold Schwarzenegger and a couple of other things. And there was an idea they were talking about that I loved. I think it also came originally from a tweet by George someone, someone, I don't remember his name, but again, I'll link it. And it's the idea of having two phones, a kale phone and a cocaine phone. So like physically keeping two phones and using them for different purposes. The cocaine phone is like probably more closely aligns with the purpose of the phone that you have in your pocket right now or that you're listening to this on where it like you have every social media app on it and you have your email and your notifications are on and your iPhone alarm like goes blazing every single morning. It's the cocaine phone that it's like very easy to get caught up in and spend hours scrolling and responding to texts and looking at something stupid on TikTok and whatever it is like watching stuff that pollutes your mind. That's the cocaine phone, which is basically another way of saying it's like the addictive stimulant that you're checking 150 times a day and that you don't know how to leave alone. And then there's the kale phone. And the idea was to keep your cocaine phone separate from your kale phone. Not exactly a burner phone, but basically a phone where there is nothing except like the useful stuff on your phone. So the notes app, reminders app, maybe audible or like something where you can listen to audiobooks or like read books similarly to the idea of a Kindle and be able to take notes and write and create. But to have the purpose of that phone be more for learning and creating and healthy things. And like, for example, tracking your steps is something I use my phone for. That is more good for me than bad for me. Whereas the social media is like probably more bad for me than good for me in the grand scheme of things. Like, don't get me wrong. There is also value in connecting and in hearing people's ideas that they share on social media apps. But we can all agree for the most part, like our phone is more like cocaine than like kale. So this entire idea was that the guy who wrote this tweet that kind of went viral, like physically has two phones and keeps them separate. And most of the time just keeps like the kale phone on him to avoid spending like an overload of time on his phone and specifically on like the negative addicting things on his phone. So that was it. That was 20, I guess, 21 ideas that I really liked this month that I heard in books, podcasts, and tweets. I guess Twitter's becoming a bigger source of the things that I get ideas from. I hope you enjoyed, and as always, if you liked this episode, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps me a lot. Um, Otherwise, I will talk to you guys next Thursday.